How many people here have been watching Transparent? How many people have no idea what I just said? Wow. I had two openings, and I think I'm going to go with the second one now. There's a, there's a TV show now on, uh, on Amazon. This is part of Torah, no? And somebody told me that I would love it, and so, so we started watching it, you know. And uh, it, it's, it's quite an incredible show on many levels. Not only because it, it is a kind of barometer, as often TV is, and other forms of, let's say, entertainment, and other forms of media in the, the broader culture, because it's capturing a zeitgeist and actually, in some way, willing to talk about issues and present them in a certain way that are very honest and very transparent. And the complexity of the show is uh, the lead character is, um, is the father of three children, all of whom are extremely narcissistic to some degree, all very kind of wrapped up in themselves. And the father has always known that he was a woman, always. And he lived the part as a man his whole life. And now that he's come of a certain age, he's ready to come out and ready to own that part of who he is. And thus far, this season has basically been about him finding an approach to have the conversation that he dreads with his kids on how to be who he is, how to be able to dress. And the poignancy of, of so many of the episodes thus far have been watching him in his old life he said, in one of the episodes, he said, to, I think when he first came out to his daughter, she, he said, well, now you're dressing like a woman. How do, I, how do I orient myself to that? And he said, no, you don't understand. I was dressing like a man my whole life. And the poignancy of seeing how trapped he was in, in the kind of the normativity and the, the whole world, the suburban life and so on, and seeing all of his desperate attempts to find community, to find a place where he belonged, to find a place where he could be who he was, to find a place where he could dress as he longed to dress. And also some of the craziness, too, in terms of you know, the normal neurosis that grows up in families, but seeing him play his children off of each other, right, giving them things and saying, don't, no, don't tell the other one, and then doing the same thing to all the children. And of course, it made me think of, of Jacob. Um, that was a laugh line right there, everybody, because <laughs> why would that make me think of Jacob? Well, it did because on one level, part of the saga of Jacob's life, maybe the deepest drama of his life, was that in order to receive the blessing, he had to dress like his brother. In fact, I think that this week's Torah reading, tomorrow morning's reading, which begins with the word vayigash, the word and he approached, vayigash, V-A-Y-I-G-A-S-H, vayigash, in order to deeply understand that word's appearance here, and I'll give the context for what here is, one has to understand, the, I think, the more pervasive introduction of that word. It, of course, appeared earlier in the Torah when Abraham approached God. By Gash Abraham, when Abraham pleaded with God on behalf of Sodom. Right? He said, God, please, right? That famous speech that Abraham made to God, arguing for justice. 
But more importantly, I think, the, the word appears in chapter 26, and it's brought in the Midrash this week, where Jacob is coming to his father Isaac dressed in Esau's clothing. And Isaac, who was blind, Isaac was blind, says to his brother, I'm sorry, his son Jacob, whom he thinks is Esau, he says, come close. Lean in, come close. Vaigash, lean in, come here. And then even more powerfully, he says, Geshana ve'amusha, come here so that I can, I can touch your skin. Let me feel you. Are you my son, Esau? And of course, what does Jacob answer? Yes, I am. Jacob paid the price for that lie. Jacob paid the price for having denied who he was having to wear the clothing of his brother in order to be something he wasn't. Maybe on some very deep psychological level, as we can read kind of Jungian archetypes, he had to incorporate those elements of, of his twin brother in order to be more fully himself. He had to wrestle with that. But there was a price he paid for being able to say the words, the lie, I am Esau, when he wasn't. And Jacob too will play his sons off of each other. Jacob too, Right? will not be finished yet with the trauma, with the wound, with the... The pain of the family is not done. Right? The secrets of the family are not finished until they become revealed. This little secret, of course, the Torah doesn't ever say that Jacob told this to his children. Hey, by the way, I want to let you know, I was not chosen, but I found a way to be chosen. He didn't like hold classes on it. All of you children of Leah and Bill and Zilpah, if you want to be chosen like Joseph is, come, I'll show you how to do it. You have to wear, go make your own coats of many colors, make a business out of it, and then you can. So here Joseph, Joseph is the one now who is hiding in clothing that says to those who would recognize him, I'm not who you think I am. Joseph too is hiding behind he doesn't say, Ani Yosef. He says, I'm Tzafnat Paneach. I have an Egyptian name. You don't really know who I am. And if you've been following the last two weeks, and I cry every time you can ask my wife. I'm not, it's not hyperbole. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful story, the Joseph story. And it reaches its climax this week because Joseph, as the viceroy, as the vice president of Egypt, has set everything up now for this moment. He's tortured his brothers. He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And he set everything in motion for the situation to be exactly as it was, where the brothers will have to decide between giving up one of their own to save or not. And here we are last week. The Torah interrupted a very powerful conversation between Jacob, between, I'm sorry, Judah and Joseph. Judah has now reached the point where Joseph has said, all the brothers said, listen, whoever had the cup, right? The cup of Joseph was placed into the bag of Benjamin. People remember the story. Benjamin is the beloved son of Jacob and the son of Rachel. There were two children to Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And Jacob beloved, he loved Rachel more than all of the other wives and he loved the children of Rachel more. And Jacob has to give up Benjamin in order for them to survive, in order to be able to receive food, in order to receive Shimon. Okay, you can read the story, but here's the most important point. It's exactly at this moment 
where Judah will have to rise to the occasion that the Torah now will say, Vayigash elav Yehuda. It will use the same word that was used with Isaac and Jacob earlier. Judah will have to approach, and this time the story is reversed. Instead of Judah, right, instead of the one approaching me, the one who's wearing clothing that isn't, right, a lie, he's approaching the liar. He's approaching the hidden one, the concealed one. And the Torah says, he comes close. And now I want to stop for a moment and say two things, and then we're going to go home. (laughs) Two things. One about Judah, the one who comes close, and one about Joseph, the one who is approached. Judah says, I want to come close. I want to whisper in your ear. And the whispering that Judah that Judah whispers, the words, the way, something in his gisha, in his approach, in the way that he speaks to Joseph, gives Joseph the freedom to be released. What does he say? Judah says something very, very simple. In the 17 verses of this longest narrative, this longest soliloquy, this longest monologue in Genesis, Judah basically retells the story of what exactly took place ever since they came back down. He doesn't fight with Joseph. He doesn't say, we were innocent. He doesn't say, it's, we're right and this is what we believe. He doesn't lay out a list of grievances with Joseph, whom he doesn't know as Joseph. He speaks from the heart. He shares his experience, not his beliefs. He shares his vulnerability, not his postulates. He shares what he's been through and what his father has been through, not some overarching abstract notion of justice. Jacob reach, Judah reaches Joseph. Judah reaches Joseph because he shares from his kishkes, from who he is. He shares from the deep vulnerability of his own, as the Midrash says, his own inner turmoil, his own arivut, his own being mixed together. And he opens Joseph by being open himself. Judah models good leadership because he doesn't fight on principle. He doesn't march and protest and says, we are right, they are wrong. In some Midrashic imaginations, Judah is fighting with Joseph. He's threatening him. But that's not the simple meaning of the text. The simple meaning of the text is that Judah won a protest. A great injustice was done against Judah and the brothers, but he doesn't win because he's right. He wins because he's soft, because he's open, because he's vulnerable, because he speaks from a place of, I'm hurting. I think about that Judah, and we'll get to Joseph in a second, I think about Judah every time of the year, of course, around this time of the year when the Judah story is, but also because it's holiday time. And how many tables do people go to where all they want to do is connect with family, with friends, and conversations spin off into debates about belief, fights about who's right, who's wrong, politics, every imaginable interesting thing in the world instead of, I'm so happy to see you. When you disagree with me, I feel a little bit empty. I'm a little bit scared. We, we ourselves hide so often in relationships, in community, in family, behind stances. Judah doesn't stand there. He comes close. He says, here, let me whisper in your ear. 
if my brother goes back, I, I can't see that happen. It's going to kill me. When Joseph hears that, he is disarmed. He is disarmed because he was ready to fight. He was ready to fight. He felt Judah's humanity. I'll tell you something, and I know that it's going to be recorded, so let me, you know, good, let's record it. <laughs> when there were protests happening three weeks ago, and I was walking up Broadway, and I could hear some of the things that people were saying, I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream and say, that's not the way it's going to happen. We are not going to persuade anybody this way. We are not going to speak to the hearts this way. We will feel justified, but we will not have brought more peace. We will feel righteously indignant. We will feel correct. But there, right there, within a foot, were some police people. And I just wanted to reach out Vayigash and say, hey, let's talk about what it feels like from here and what it feels like from there. And let's, let's talk. Let's begin to talk. Let's have dialogue. Let's speak to each other. Let's say what's really scaring us, what we see. Let's hear what you feel like, what we feel like, what's happening. Let's, a broad conversation. Let's talk about the secrets. Let's talk about racism. Let's talk about, let's talk. Not taunt. And now Joseph, and then we'll finish. Joseph is, Joseph is the man who when he hears Judah's vulnerability, he meets Judah's vulnerability with his own. Joseph is the only one in the Torah that cries as often as he does, three times. He cries. He's, you know, it's like he was the vice president and he cried. He would have lost the election if he was an American, right? He starts to cry. And then he does one of the most amazing things. And this I will ask you to take with you. When the brothers have finally acknowledged, they finally see that it is Joseph. Joseph says to them, says, don't worry. Don't worry. You sold me into slavery. But I was sent. You think you sold me, and I know that I was sent. Joseph shifts the paradigm from the sense of being sold to the sense of being sent. You ever get that? He says, you sold me, right? You think you sold me, he says. You think you sold me. But no, the word shlichut, I'm, I'm being sent by God. You don't have that much power, Joseph says. You don't have that much power. I know that I had a mission and I was deployed and it was important for me to be here. I think these are the two places here. The two places that we live with, the two places that confront us at this time of the year. A sense of connection that comes from deep vulnerability and being able to come close, to change our approach, to speak from the heart, to say how we feel to not allow our concepts and our abstractions and our ideas to, to intermediate between us and a lived experience of the other, to show our kishkes, to be that courageous. And then when somebody is that vulnerable with us to say, 
I forgive you, or whatever it is, to hold the sense of having been sent. We were taking a, a yoga class a couple of weeks ago, and the, the, uh, the yoga instructor said that we should all get into this pose called the peacock pose. It has all of this stuff about being like, on your belly, and it's really interesting. He said, you know, something interesting about a peacock is that according to the Buddhist mythology and Hindu mythology, the peacock's colorful pedigree, its colorful living out loudness, how it has the courage to live in its true colors and its true clothing comes because they say it knows how to transform poison. It eats poison, poisonous herbs, poisonous vegetation, and there's some kind of stone that transforms poison into color. I love that, transform poison into color. To be able to neutralize, right, to say I was on a mission, I was being sent, it wasn't you, I wasn't sold, I was sent. And be able to live in the power of your true colors. They're beautiful, like a rainbow.